Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. And we're going to take a little bit of time and study the Bible together today. And it's something that we do every Sunday. Every Sunday since Renaissance has been gathering, we open up the Bible and we study it. We haven't skipped a Sunday studying the Bible together since our inception. And why is that? It's because the Bible is very important to us here. It's, it's the foundation for everything we believe about who Jesus is. We start and we end with our understanding of Jesus with the Bible. We get everything we know about him. And from that, it gives us uh, information about who he is so that we can better worship him. And so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 30. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll put the words up on the screen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you because you don't own a Bible, we want to get one to you. So before you leave today through the overhead door, we'll be able to get you a Bible at our information and welcome table. Someone there would love to get a Bible in your hands. If you're watching us online, I'm glad you got to see me today, um, and you would like to have a Bible, just send a little message to our prayer host and say, hey, I don't have a Bible. And I want one, and we'll find a way to get a Bible to you. We, we want everybody who doesn't have one to get one because it is so important to us. And if you were here last week, Pastor Jeff, as he read the scripture, did something a little bit different that isn't a normal part of our worship experience here at Renaissance, but it just felt so great. And what that was was while, while we were reading the scriptures together, we all stood up while we were reading. And so I want to just ask if you're so inclined and able that we would do that again today. Didn't it feel good last week to do that? Would, would you just stand with me as we read the Bible again? And, and as we stand, just think of this. It, it's, a, it's a physical picture of the convictions we hold about the Bible. We respect it and we honor it because we get everything we know about who Jesus is from it. So let's read together. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 25, it says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. I think that's how you say that. It's a mouthful. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So I'm the more eager to send him to you. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. We, we love that we have... It, information in our hands directly from you that teaches us about who you are, it teaches us how to live, it teaches us how to love. Lord, I pray that you would use its words today to guide us to a better understanding of who you are. You would help us to love you more from what we read today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you for standing with me through that. The, the book of Philippians is actually a letter, one of many in the New Testament, written by a man named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. The word apostle simply means that Jesus sent him specifically to take his message throughout the world. And this Paul, uh, in the first century AD, throughout the Mediterranean world, planted many churches in that area and visited many existing churches. And what we find, what he would do is that after he had planted a church and spent some time there, would move on to another city. If he'd heard some things that were going on at that church, maybe there was trouble happening, he would write a letter to them and say, hey, you need to knock it off. Stop, stop being such an idiot. Uh, sometimes he would write an encouraging letter to them. Hey, I've heard that you've been doing some really great things, and, and the great things that you've been doing have spread all throughout the known world. You're doing great. Keep it up. So he had different purposes for writing them. And the book of Philippians is very different than many of his other letters. You see, when Paul writes the book of Philippians, it's one of four letters he wrote while in prison. So he'd been imprisoned for teaching the truth about who Jesus is. The Roman authorities, coupled with the Jewish leaders of that day, did not appreciate that about him, and so they arrested him and threw him into prison. And so what we find is that as Paul is in prison, though he is a Roman soldier and enjoys some benefits, a Roman citizen, he's not a Roman soldier, he's a Roman citizen and enjoys some benefits of being a Roman citizen, such as having a food allowance. What, what we also know about that time is that they did not have ways to make sure that their prisoners were actually taken care of with their food. So though he was allowed food, those Roman soldiers guarding him weren't going to bring it to him. It had to be brought to him by friends that he had. And so he's relying on the kindness of Christians to bring him food, even to bring him money to help him sustain his other needs. And so this book of Philippians is actually a thank you letter to them because they'd sent a man with a bag of money to go to Paul and say, here's some money to get you by for the next couple months or whatever. And while I'm here, I want to serve you and minister to you. This man that the church in Philippi sent to Paul is Epaphroditus, who we read about. Now, what we find is that they don't really have what they expected, as my favorite theologian, Mick Jagger, often said, you can't always get what you want. That is exactly what they find here. They're, they're not getting exactly what they wanted. The Apostle Paul needed to be served by Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus wanted to take advantage of the opportunity that he had to serve the great Apostle Paul. But when he gets there, we learn from Philippians chapter 2 that for some reason, something happened, whether it's on the way or after he got there, he got very sick, so sick that he almost dies now, instead of ministering to Paul, he becomes a burden to him, though he doesn't say Epaphroditus is a burden to him. Paul is very generous, but he does say that I am already anxious by having him here so sick. He became a burden to the Apostle Paul instead of ministering to him. Now, it's, it's kind of a sad story because you can imagine this Epaphroditus wanting to make a a good impression on the Apostle Paul, the, the, the great father of the church, if you will. We wouldn't have Christianity in the world like we have it today if it weren't for this man, the Apostle Paul. And so Epaphroditus gets this opportunity to come in and serve him. And when he gets there, he ends up having to be served by Paul anyway. Now, when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians and he mentions Epaphroditus, he does not mention that he's a burden. In fact, he does a lot of things, says a lot of words to 
to highlight how helpful Epaphroditus was in spite of the condition. And in verse 25, he says this, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, he's my fellow soldier. We're doing this thing together, Paul says of him. Now, it's really easy to look at the Apostle Paul and Epaphroditus and see a difference in the impact that they might have on, on God's kingdom. Because the Apostle Paul had started so many churches, because he was such a, a devoted person and, and his word was so well-respected amongst the churches that he ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. We can look at that and say that his impact in the kingdom of God is so much greater than Epaphroditus's, who's just a guy that the church trusts with their money, and he winds up getting sick. He almost dies and can't even minister in the way that he wanted to. It would be easy for us to say, Paul has a greater impact than Epaphroditus does. And pragmatically, that's probably true. But when we look at things from God's perspective, he sees us all, and Paul gives us a glimpse of that here, he sees us all as peers in God's work. The Apostle Paul refers to him as a peer. He's my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. He's my brother. We're all doing this together. It's easy to look at someone who's a pastor and say, wow, you you." must have a great impact in God's kingdom. Uh, you, you get the opportunity to teach the Bible. Wow, what great things you're doing for God. But let me tell you this, that the, the things that God has called me to do have no greater impact than, than for those of you that God has called to clean homes or fix toilets or, or teach people how to invest their money wisely. Like, like we all have an equal impact. It doesn't matter so much how much airtime we get. What matters is, am I being obedient to what God has asked me to do? Are you being obedient to what God has asked you to do? That's the crucial and important thing. That's what really matters. Not not title, not status, but am I just being obedient in what God has asked of me? And Paul shows us that by calling Epaphroditus his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier. He also gives honor to Epaphroditus. Verse 29, he says, Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. He says, this guy is a hardworking man for God's kingdom, so much so that he's expended his life nearly. He's nearly martyred himself for the sake of the gospel. Now, it's really easy for us to read into that story and see Epaphroditus as a great example of devotion to Jesus and commitment to what God has called us to. And we can certainly look at his life and say, wow, what a faithful follower of Jesus Epaphroditus was. But lest we get too involved in that and, and, and begin to chide ourselves for, for not giving so much of ourselves that we nearly die, for, for not risking our lives more, let us not forget that Epaphroditus is not our example. Jesus is our example for ministry. He's our example for fulfilling God's purpose in our life. What we find from Jesus is that he was able to strike a, a beautiful rhythm in his life. So you see, we talk a lot about finding balance, work-life balance, balance in the things that we do. It's, it's impossible to find balance. We're all so busy in so many ways. We can't find balance in so many ways. But what did Jesus have? He found a rhythm of life, a, a different way to, to, to find work and rest, all driven by his purpose that he understood. We find times that he would go to a place where there's a crowd of people and they would all come to him because they begin hearing that he's doing miracles. And the Bible tells us that many times he healed them all. 
Bible tells us in other places that there were crowds who would approach Jesus and on one occasion he actually snuck away, got on a boat and sailed around the long way to get away from those people. And all my introvert friends in the room are going, yes, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Jesus is our example. He, he finds this beautiful rhythm of being able to, to work as much as he can in the time that he can, but also rest as much as he can when it's necessary to refuel. And lest those of us who are introverts, or if you're like me, an extrovert, put that spin on it. Like Jesus is an introvert, so he's just getting away from the people and he needs alone time. It's easy to say, I just need to get away from people and I need alone time. Or if you're an extrovert like me and you can't stand to be alone with yourself, so you have to be around lots of other people all the time, uh, the challenge for us is to actually find time to get alone. But what we really must do in both of those things is not just enough to get alone with yourself. We have to get alone with God. That's what Jesus is doing. He, we find many times that he wakes up early in the morning to pray. We, we find over and over again that when he's sneaking away from people, what he's actually doing is going to spend time with his father. It's not just enough for us to find rest or to find times where we just veg out on the couch and, and do nothing, which those are important, and I am a heavy proponent of doing nothing. Just ask my wife. Those are important, but if we're truly to, to be refueled in our spirits, if we're truly to be refueled in our, in our commitment and motivation towards serving God, we have to go to the source to be refilled. We have to go to God, our Father, like Jesus does. So it's easy to look at Epaphroditus as a great example though he is not our example. Jesus is our example. When I look at Paphroditus, what I see is a, a picture of a man who, who life and his own choices have so bruised him that now he's laid up in a bed. A, a man who, who once burned with a passion that would, that would cause him to leave his hometown and travel across the first century world to go to a man that he's probably never met before and serve him. That passion that once existed with him is now nearly gone and extinguished. So we find Epaphroditus is, is not just this great example for devotion to Jesus, but he's a man who's laid up in bed, who's bruised, and whose flame within him is barely burning. And instead of extinguishing that flame or Causing more harm, the Apostle Paul gives us a great example of what it's like to be like Jesus. He gently cares for him, so much so that he tells them God had mercy on Epaphroditus and restored him to life. He nearly died, but I, I can only imagine that it was part of the Apostle Paul's ministering to him and, and serving him, maybe even encouraging him. Epaphroditus, you've got so much more to give, don't give up. And he is restored to life. We find in the book of Matthew, which was written by a man named Matthew, a 
quotation from the Old Testament. See, God had sent a, a man named Isaiah to the nation of Israel 700 years before Jesus lived. And he sent this man Isaiah to them to, to tell them many things. And many of the things that he told them about was, was who Jesus would be when he came to this earth, who God's son would be, how he would minister to people, what he would be like when he came to the earth so that we could help identify that Jesus was truly the promised one. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, Matthew quotes this prophet Isaiah in showing us that Jesus is, in fact, the promised one, he, because these are the things that he's doing. In verse 18, it says, Behold, my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I'll put my spirit upon him, and he'll proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He won't quarrel or cry aloud, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Verse 20, Matthew tells us that the, the ministry that Jesus does for his people is one that when we are at our end, when we are, are bruised and barely burning, Jesus comes not to break or snuff us out, but to restore us and reignite the passions that were once in our hearts. This is who he is. You see, with bruised reeds, what they would do in that day, a, a reed was a, a kind of a weed, actually, that grew in the marsh, and it was a long, hollow cane, and they would break them off at the bottom and use them as a measuring rod. And so if it became bruised and the structural integrity was no longer good, it was no longer good as a measuring rod. And so what they would do, so they didn't mistakenly pick up the bruised reed and try to measure something with it, they would break it in half so that they don't use it again. It's just what you do. When, when, when there's a reed that's bruised, you break it. We don't want to make the mistake of doing it again. What I've learned about myself is that I, I hate yard work, but I love whacking weeds. I love it, probably because it's destroying part of my yard. So the other day, my wife and I are out doing yard work. She's doing the hard work on her hands and knees in the flower beds, and I'm doing the easy work of just standing around with this battery-operated weed whacker, and I'm trying to clean up the edge of the flower beds after mowing, and there are these big weeds growing on the side of our house, and it's our first spring there, so there's a lot to be done. So I just start going after these huge, ugly weeds that are there, and I start whacking them down, and I start hearing my wife yell at me over the sound of the weeds. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, no, Joe, don't. Those are ferns. Oh, I thought they were weeds. Look like weeds to me. So I move along to another weed, and she screams at me again, Joe, that's a hosta. Four ferns and a hosta were lost that day. <laughs> All because when I saw them, I didn't see plants. I didn't see something beautiful. I saw these ugly weeds growing up from the ground, and I'm like, I'm going to cut them. I'm going to help my wife out so she doesn't have to pull these up. I'll just cut them down, and I'll come out in three days and cut them down again because it feels so good. But that's a lot of times what we do when we, when we see ourselves in a place like the bruised reed, like, like I don't have anything left to give. I'm no longer useful. And so all that's going to happen is I'm just going to be broken in half, thrown away. I'm just going to be cut down be, because I can't see in me what Jesus sees in me. But he comes along and he says, no, 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 I don't break the bruised reed. I go against conventional wisdom. Jesus restores. The Bible says that he makes all things new. 
Some of us in the room feel as though we are wasted with nothing left to give, with, with no hope left that God could ever do anything through us again. We've been so bruised by our sin. We've been so bruised by the actions or words of others. We've been so bruised by the burdens that we carry that we don't know how to lay down and we wonder if there's anything left and we just are waiting for that moment where Jesus comes along and just breaks us and throws us away. Just get it over with, Jesus. I've got nothing left. That's not who he is. Some of us feel like the smoldering wick, like the candle that has burned nearly to the end. See, in their day, they used candles like this to light a room. In our day, we use them to get rid of bad smells. But the same thing kind of goes. When it gets down to the, the end and there's not much flame left, what do you get more than light or scent? You get a lot of smoke, which becomes an irritant now. And so what do you do? Well, you extinguish it. You Lick your fingers and you put it out or you put the lid back on top to contain the smoke. It's just what you do. But again, Jesus goes against that conventional wisdom and he, he doesn't snuff us out when we're barely burning. Some of us have, have been in a place where there was a time where we served God with such fervent passion. The phrase that we like to use in the church is that we were on fire. Have you ever said that about yourself or, or said that or thought that about someone else? And, and maybe some of us feel in a place right now where that fire is nearly gone out because of circumstances that have occurred. Maybe last year was just way too hard. Maybe, maybe uh, so many things have happened to us over time. Maybe we been praying so long without any results we wonder if God's even listening and our flame is starting to flicker maybe we've been believing for so long for something and our flame is starting to flicker that our doubts are overcoming and we're beginning to wonder is God even real and, and all that we have left of our faith is just uh, this flickering little flame that's more irritating to us than anything. And we just wish God would have mercy on us and come along and snuff it out so I don't have to deal with that anymore. But that's not who Jesus is. He will not break us when we're bruised. He will not snuff us out when we're barely burning. And why is this? The Bible says it's because he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. The Bible tells us that Jesus has been bruised for our sins. He knows what it's like to be taken advantage of. He knows what it's like to be laid up and have nothing left to give. He knows what it's like to have his life snuffed out and taken away from it. And because he knows and because he understands, he's not going to do that to us. Jesus understands what you're going through. Nobody else does. Nobody else cares. Know this, that Jesus understands us, not just because he, he has some special knowledge as God where he can stand afar off and say, yeah, I get it. They're people and they probably go through problems. No, 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 no. He understands because he became a people and he went through a lot and he knows what it's like for a human to suffer. He understands what we're going through. So he will not break us. He will not snuff us out. And he cannot because he's already been broken 
The Bible tells us that, that he was crushed for our sins. He's already been broken on my behalf. So of course he wouldn't think to break the bruised reed. I was the bruised reed and he took my place. He took my place. He stood in my place and he was broken on my behalf. We're the, the flickering wick and he came in and he took our place and he wants to restore. His life was already snuffed out so he cannot do that to us because it's already been done to him. He's already come in and done the work. Now, what do we have to do? We just believe that this is who he is. This is what he's done. We just put ourselves before him and say, Jesus, I need you to restore me. Jesus, my flame is about to go out and I need you to reignite it. If you have a fire that's barely burning, what is something that you can do oftentimes to restore the flame? You could breathe on it. You could blow on it. And, and there's something about the, the breath on the embers that will, will cause the flame to begin to reignite. There's this really cool thing in the Bible. We're never really given an, a full description of why or a full understanding of why this is, but the same word in Hebrew and the same word in Greek that is translated spirit is also translated breath all throughout the Bible. And so when we say the spirit of God, let's, let's think of it this way, the spirit of God will come and restore me. The spirit of God will reignite the fire that once burned in me. When we say that, we can replace the word and it means the same thing with the word breath and say the breath of God will come and reignite my flame. Now, whenever we find ourselves in a place like this, there, there are many times changes that we need to make ourselves to to be restored. So, sometimes we have to change some of our habits. Sometimes we have to go back to doing things that we stopped doing that were good. Sometimes we have to give up some people. Sometimes we have to change our schedule a little bit. There are many things that we can do once God shows us what we need to do. But before we do any of those things, we need him to motivate us. And I believe God can do that today. I believe, and it's my, my hope and my prayer that 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 Jesus will breathe on us. He will send his spirit to us to restore us and reignite us, those of us who feel bruised and barely burning. In just a few moments here, the band is gonna be returning after, after a bit. And when they do, they're gonna give us an opportunity to enter back into a brief time of worship. And while we're doing that, it's the perfect chance for us to turn our focus, to turn our attention directly towards Jesus. And in that time to ask him to breathe on us, to ask him to restore us. Uh, this passage that Matthew quotes from the prophet Isaiah, he's probably referring to non-Jewish peoples at that time. When he refers to bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, he's probably referring to the people that the Jewish people would have said, we want nothing to do with them. So they're just good to be cast aside, to be broken and snuffed out. They're useless to us. They're worthless to us. They're of no good to us. We want nothing to do with them. And 
700 years before Jesus comes along, there's this promise from God that says, even those people that you want nothing to do with, I will not throw them away. All of us at some point have found ourselves in a situation where we're bruised because of our own sin. All of us start out this way bruised because of sin and and we look at that and we see that the only end for us would be for Jesus to come and throw us out and reject us and get rid of us because of that but that's just not who he is that's not why he came that's not why he suffered he he didn't come just to throw us out he came to restore and renew and make us his anytime that that we speak up here, we, we, always, we always have a few things in mind that we want to highlight that maybe God can do in us. But primarily what we always hope, because each of us are, are different, is that God is going to speak to us as individuals. And, and maybe some of us are already thinking of, okay, this is, this is where I'm bruised. This, this, is where, this is where pain has come into my life and I I have nothing left to give and, and I'm almost done with. This is where I'm barely burning. Yeah, I remember the time where I used to be so, quote unquote, on fire. And God is going to speak to each of us, I think, and, and show us what it is that he wants to come to us and, and bring restoration, bring healing where we've been wounded and hurt, and reignite the flame that is nearly snuffed out. And some of us are going to try to resist him. Some of us are going to strong arm him. Some of us are going to say, no, Jesus, you can't have that place in my life. And I, I, I know this because I'm, I'm a bit of an expert at doing that very thing. <laughs> it's stopping Jesus from trying to work in my life. No, 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 Lord. And it sounds something like this. I, I can handle this on my own. Could you imagine standing before God and saying, I don't really need your help with that. Some of us are going to resist him in that way. Some of us are going to resist him because, Lord, it's just too painful to think about that thing again. It's just too, it just hurts too much to go there again. But if we won't go there with Jesus, how, how else are we going to get it fixed how else if it's too painful to go there if we if we can't go there with the one who already knows it all if we can't go there with the with the one who completely understands and and comes to us with no judgment he comes to us with no disappointment he comes to us without ever being shocked with the problems that we present if we can't go there with him we never will and we'll carry around this bruise forever and we'll hide it from other people, and we'll ignore it ourselves until a moment where it rises to the top and we blow up again or we make that bad choice again. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to, to confront us in those places for the sake of our healing. And it's my belief that he can and he will do that with us today. And we have the perfect opportunity for it. 
as the band returns. We, every Sunday, we get this chance. After, after the, the sermon, we, we set aside time specifically so that we can reflect, so that we can turn our focus and our attention back to Jesus. Some of us need to look in and say, Lord, what are those things that have bruised me that I need to turn over to you? Some of us need to look up and say, Jesus, I I don't know what I need, but I know that if you breathe on me, you'll give me what I need. Let's not be too quick today to dismiss this as just the closing song or to wait for it to be over so we can get out and grab breakfast. I'm all for breakfast. But I think before breakfast, maybe God would want to actually speak to us today. And and maybe Jesus would would want to heal some of us and and reignite what what is flickering and barely there. God wants to to work in each of our lives. And while we're here, hear hear me out. He can do it anywhere. He can do it at diamonds as you're eating that corned beef hash. He's done it for me, okay? He can do it there, but while we're here and we're already paying attention to him, why don't we give him a shot to do what only he can do? Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that we know the one who's the only one who can do exactly what we need. And so, Lord, we give our bruises to you. We give our half-lit wicks to you. And we ask you to restore us. We ask you to renew us. Jesus, we ask you to breathe on us. Send your spirit to reignite the fire that's gone for Lord, for, for those in the room or watching online who, who don't know you at all, I pray that you'll show them that even in their bruised and barely burning state, you are the only hope. Lord, we love you that you're everything we need. And so we turn to you today. We ask you to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 